Welcome back to Labeled, with stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth & Nail Records. I'm your host, Matt Carter. And uh, over the last couple weeks, we've been exploring the genesis of the hardcore indie punk Christian music scene, and how Tooth & Nail Records had already helped shift the culture from Sandy Patty to Stafesaker, and still had a bunch of scene inventing and reshaping left to do. So this week, we're back in the early 90s. Tooth & Nail's now in Seattle with a handful of employees hard at work, and they were witnessing and helping to drive this new scene and culture that no longer accepts the watered-down, saccharine music of years past, but is creating something that has its own merit and its own earned credibility. And right away, we hit conflict with a discussion about things like credibility and artistry within a Christian band because in the non-Christian or secular music world, Bands and artists have always gained credibility by virtue of being not only skilled at their craft, but more so by pushing boundaries and exploring new territory. But in the Christian music world, this was not so much the case. In fact, the farther that you strayed from sameness, the less likely you were to be validated in Christian spheres. In fact, you might even get shunned for your attempts to break convention. And therein lies the problem. To be cred, you cannot follow the herd. You have to be yourself and know what you think is great about art or music and go for it and not be guided by some other agenda. And if we know anything by this point about the Christian music industry, it is, there is no shortage of agendas. But like we said before, in the tooth and nail journey, these two worlds, the indie, punk, hardcore, general market, and Christian scenes were colliding. And while there was plenty of optimism for what the scene could become, there was no consensus about what bands ought to do or not do with regards to style, faith, money, or even musicianship. And there was no roadmap for how to navigate a successful career in this particular world, and to me, that's what's really exciting. So to start things off, I sat down with Brandon to get his take on what it was like moving the label to Seattle from Southern California back in 1993. And now from the very get-go, things weren't as easy as they expected. So you come up to Seattle and you're like, yeah, I got this hardcore band focus. They're like, oh, you mean with your baggy shorts and your stupid tattoos that they're going to want to like scratch off by the time they're 25? Mm -hmm. They're, you know, they're nailed to the X tattoo and blah. You know what I mean? They're like, you guys are, because I mean, I thought we were pretty dang cool. I thought Tooth and Nail, and Southern California, I mean, I would drive around on the highway and like people had Tooth and Nail stickers all over their cars. Like, yeah, it was just far easy. more than accepted. Right? You know, they were really into it. Like yeah. they thought we were the coolest thing ever, right? And you go up to Seattle and they're like, you're not cool. <laughs> yeah. like, and it was very pretentious, like very snobby. And so when we put, first put out the first Pedro the Lion EP, I guess Dave went to try to um, get a show at the Velvet Elvis. And they were like, oh, if you're on Tooth and Nail, that's not, you know, like it was kind of a stigma, like, uh, you know, maybe Tooth and Nail is like, you know, we have no place for pop punk Christian bands in this market. So Brandon was immediately struck by the reality that the Seattle scene was definitely not the SoCal scene, which was a bit of a rude awakening, but it's also something that ran counter to Brandon's own beliefs and involvement with music and how he wanted the world to experience music as primary, regardless of its scene, regardless of its genre, and even regardless of any elements of faith. My radio show I had at Oregon State for four years, I blended a lot of my friends' bands that were Christian with just all the normal music. So my vision for doing Tooth & Nail always was to have a blend of different artists 
Always. So, you know, we had bands like Stretch Armstrong. I think maybe the lead singer was maybe a Christian. But, I mean, you know, we've, we've signed bands that are not Christian. Mm-hmm. We've had bands that wanted to make a point that they weren't a Christian band. Like, he is legend. Like, they put, like, upside-down crosses on their amps once in a show. I believe. I heard this, at least. I've never seen a video of it or anything. Kind of like saying, hey, we're secular. We're, <laughs> we're evil. <laughs> You know, we've always wanted to support the artists where they are. We have artists like Starflyer 59 that don't really have any Christian lyrics, but he would actually say he is in a Christian band. Jason Martin would say, yes, Starflyer is a Christian band, but we have no lyrics that are Christian. I am a Christian. And if an artist wants to go out and share their faith and I can help them do that, that's awesome. But that is their personal journey, right? Our label mission has never been to, you know, we've never done an ad that says we are a Christian rock label or, you know, we've always just wanted to be a record label and sign artists that we like. I'm personally a Christian. Not everybody who has ever worked at Tooth and Nail has been Christian at all. There's not a faith requirement to work at Tooth and Nail or be on Tooth and Nail at all. No. But usually, especially as we got larger, we, of course, found lots of great groups that had faith because we had large groups that were, were Christian, right? So then that just perpetuates itself. And then you have artists that sign that aren't like Stretch Armstrong or, you know, May, and they're playing a show and somebody comes up to them afterwards and says, like, I noticed that, you know, you said this word on stage and like, I'm really pissed because like, you know, I thought you were a Christian band. So yeah, there's been a little stigma with that too, right? Because Tooth & Nail became such an overt brand, even though we didn't necessarily try to do that. But with that part of it came a lot of like confusion, right? Because those people looked at Tooth & Nail as like their musical home where we were like vetting every artist. And if one artist made a mistake, I mean, I remember my career from MXPX, the microphone hit him in the mouth in Arizona and chipped his tooth. And he said, shit in the mic. Right. And we got like 20 letters that he said shit on stage. It's like, <laughs> it's like, well, you know, he did have his tooth get chipped. So, I mean, it's like, do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, huh? Like, I just didn't even know what to think about that. It's like, well, the man's not on Christian radio. People had expectations. Tell me about that vetting thing. People thought you vet like. What were you saying there? Yeah, I mean, everybody sins. Everybody makes mistakes. You know, I didn't sit down and have like a a Bible study with every artist. It wasn't like, hey, you know, we really want, I want you to memorize the four spiritual laws. And once you do that and get back to me, But people expected that though, like youth leaders and parents and books, they thought that you, that well, surely this. It was, I mean, it was very difficult to navigate, you know? I mean, I remember my friend Tim Owen from J Tree Records, which had Promise Ring, like I said, and Jets to Brazil and Pedro the Lion and all these groups. He came over to our office once and we opened up a couple pieces of fan mail, right? And one said, we're going to nail your Jesus to a cross and we're going to kill you guys basically for being Christian, right? This was like some like hardcore kid from, you know, those reading like Maximum Rock and Roll or whatever. There was like a gutter punk or whatever. He sends us this letter. Then we open up another piece of fan mail and we get a letter from a pastor of a church saying that he's not letting any of the kids in the youth group listen to anything on Tooth and Nail because Roadside Monument had a song called Sperm Ridden Burden and it uses the word sperm, which he thought was not acceptable or whatever. And Tim Owen from Jade Tree goes, man, I think it's hard enough just to like record the bands and put them out and get stories on them in magazines and like you're dealing with all this other side stuff. I go from both sides, Mm -hmm. right? The super like anti-Christian community in the punk and heavy metal scene or whatever, hardcore scene hates us. And then the extreme right-wing Christians, a lot of them don't like us either because they think we're like pushing it too much, right? Yeah. 
part of me wanted to be kind of accepted in Seattle, but I also wasn't going to not not put out the next Supertones record so somebody could buy me a beer. I mean, I do what I want to do, too. Like, I don't need to have some, like, cool album review in The Stranger to, like, make me go to bed at night, right? So maybe part of my little, like, indie music punk rockness is that I didn't give a shit about it. I mean, we were talking the Seattle scene. They don't even want anything to do with the Warp Tour, right? I mean, they are, it's a whole nother level of, so it's like, no, we're putting out, like, hardcore bands that are 19 years old. Like, that's what we do. That's what Tooth & Nail does. And we're not going to stop just because, like, some scenester that, like, works at the burrito place that wears skinny black jeans with a white belt and a Romulan haircut's going to tell me what to do. Like, but at the same time, we did have some bands like Frodo's and Roadside that fit into the scene, and it was cool for a while for people to actually come out to some shows, and you're like, whoa. Of course, it's nice to be accepted by that group. Right. And they do have good, I mean, that group does have good taste. Really good taste. So there's not, they're not wrong. They're not wrong, but I'm not wrong either. Yeah. <laughs> so. Hey, this is Brian Gray from The Blamed. And uh, I was in a various amount of 90s Christian bands. Being in a Christian band was, it was a label that myself and most people didn't ask for. Here's a little backstory on Brian and his bands, The Blamed and Mortal, and how he fits into the tooth and nail story. Bill Powers was talking about the Scattered Few show in Tacoma. My band was the opening band for Scattered Few at that show, and we weren't signed. It's pre all that stuff. Like we were just a funk punk band, to be honest. It was had a different name. It was called uh, it's horrible. We were called Rocks and Pink Cement. <laughs> I know, but we opened that show with Scattered Few. They talk about Tom Stevenson putting out the ACM Journal. The ACM Journal actually helped us put out our first cassette tape, and I met Bill at that show. I don't know if I met Brandon, but he had said we ran into each other there. And when I was doing Mortal, fast forward, and he was starting Tooth and Nail, I mentioned I'd like to do a record on his label. He originally said, like, can I put out your Rocks and Pink Cement band? And I was like, no, I I, I played slap bass in that band. I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, either you go to the blame where I was a guitarist and I said, hey, I'd like to do this punk stuff. And he was like, sure, I'd like to hear it. And then me and Jerome from Mortal cut the first demo together. Mortal had a recording studio, like down to half-inch tape or something. And Brandon and I originally signed The Blamed, I believe, for me to take on tour with Mortal. Uh, the 21 record was our first album in 94. We did it down in Huntington Beach. I moved down there to the Newman house with uh, Mark and the from Staves Acre and Crucified and Native Son and... The Focus guys live there. The Havelina guys live there. The Unashamed guys. I mean, not guys, like a person from each band or something. And then mm -hmm. eventually the Blame guys live there. Let me interrupt you mm -hmm. there. Brandon told me to ask you about that record, 21, that he sang on it and that you recorded it in 21 hours to tape. So yes. verify those rumors it's if they're true. 100% true. It's funny that he remembers that because he used to come to Cornerstone and the first thing he would say to me would be, don't ask me to sing on that song live with you. And I was like, I won't. I'll be good. You know? <laughs> He sang on the courses, actually. The courses go, it's like a gang vocal yelling, shut up, you don't need to say a word. Shut up, it's what you do and not say. That's all Brandon singing the main vocal on those. Shut up, 
So when I joined Mortal, it was kind of after I'd started the Blame, but we hadn't signed a tooth and nail or anything. We'd already done our run of Gilman shows, but we were just a local Gilman band. And then I went into the Mortal group. Mortal, I was their bass player. And again, it was a whole new culture. I mean, when I joined the band, it was like the rules were different. I remember joining the band and it was, you know, hey, we want you to play bass for us. You know, you can't smoke, you can't drink, you can't wear secular band t-shirts. I mean, there was there was rules involved to being able to be in that band. Of course, it was all stuff I didn't care about. Do you get the sense of those rules were for what reason? Man, can I answer it the wrong way almost? Like I remember being on that tour and my sister coming out to a show and the band was like, you know, your sister can't stay in the same room as you are. Cause like we, I think it was like a, some, when you played those Christian shows, you got nice hotels and nice catering and, and they were like, your sister can't stay in the room with you. She has to get her own room. Uh, you can't be seen coming out of her room. And I was like, it's my sister. And they were like, yeah, I know, but the promoter doesn't know that. That was a hard lesson for me. You know, and then you'd get the scripture about, you know, you know, Bible says don't have the appearance of evil. And, you know, and I was like, yeah, you're right. You had to have an image that was squeaky clean. You know, you you had to be able to walk in and be beyond reproach, per se, going into venues. I mean, even like, it was even rough having secular music in the car. Like, I remember having like a Tool tape and a Rollins band tape and getting to like the city. This is pre-internet and computer. So promoter would meet you at a gas station and go, here, let me jump in the van with you and I'll take you there. And he'd get in the van and be like, well, you guys are listening to Tool and Rollins band? I thought you guys were a Christian band. And you were like, it's, <laughs> yeah, you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. But that was like, real. those were the times. It was real. It was totally different. Are you thinking at that time with the blame, like, well, we don't want to be labeled a Christian band or we're going to go ahead and take the label of Christian band and see if we can make it cool? We just embraced it and didn't care. It was almost like call it whatever you want type thing. Because in our mm-hmm. brain, it was, we're on Tooth and Nail, it's obviously a Christian label, and we sing about our faith. And, uh, you know, we went out and played our shows in the churches and the Christian clubs. And especially in 94, I mean, you just played wherever you could get put. And it was churches, sanctuaries. It was, there were shows that you walked yep. out of there uncomfortable. And, but a lot of churches also had like a big room. And, you know, there was a lot of places you would go play that were the cool Christian shows where you'd show up and it was like, you know, yeah, you're playing at Bob's Assembly of God, but then, uh, you know, hey, you're on the left-hand side. We have a full auditorium with the PA system that sucks and monitors that don't work, but we'll get you in there and we'll pack the house out and, you know, that'll be great. And so there was a lot of that going on that was awesome. After they kicked Al out. This is Chris Bowden. He played drums in Focus, and he has a slightly different take on what it was like playing in Christian bands and being immersed in the Christian scene. And I joined the band. Uh, We were playing songs off Bow, and then we started writing our own songs. And I'd always fiddled around with guitar, and so I was writing a couple pieces for the songs, uh, for The Hope That Lies Within. You know, there was a chance to also, we're going to go on tour, you know, like we're going to all hop in a van and go on tour for 40 days and 40 nights. That was our first tour, 1994. We call it Hardcore 94. You know, they they said, we're going to go on tour for 40 days and 40 nights. And I thought, that's pretty awesome. Like, we just get to go around and play music. This quiet panic! Yeah, that I feel! 
what do you remember thinking that <laughs> I'm really interested to what did you think that would be like and what was it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's yeah. Yeah, me I mean the fantasy of it's just like there's going to be these big shows, there's going to be big crowds, you know. I I don't think I even thought like where I didn't even care where they were. I think it was just more about the experience of just going to play music with my friends and like that's that's the only responsibility we have is to get to the next show. The first show was Bartlesville, Oklahoma, the warehouse, I think. Yeah, I know it. The warehouse, yeah. The warehouse, and yeah. so, you know, we drove from Southern California straight there. That's like 20 hours or whatever, some crazy thing. And, you know, you're just excited and pumped and all this stuff, and then 50 kids show up. How much of it was Christian or not Christian? Or it, was, that's, that's it, was, it was all Christian except for maybe two shows. Um, you know, we did the 40 Days and 40 Nights, Focus, Unashamed, and Chatterbox. And there was like six cars. It was a giant caravan for 40 Days and 40 Nights. And people were fighting and fireworks. And you know how it goes, throwing bottles and all kinds of fun stuff. How could it be so intense? All right, we're going to hear more from Chris after this quick break. All right, guys, this is Adam at Tooth & Nail again, and today I want to tell you about one of our newer solid-state bands called Azusa. They just put out their debut album called Heavy Yoke in November, and they are just awesome. They are led by this amazing female vocalist named Elaney, who sings for a band called CNR, and the rest of the band is made up of members from Extol and the Dillinger Escape Plan, and this thing is just one of the most interesting and unique kind of punky and thrashy metal releases that I've heard in a long time. We're gonna put a bunch of links to their Spotify and their Apple Music and where you can pick up some vinyl uh, in the notes to the podcast, but go check them out. The record is Heavy Yoke. We're gonna listen to a song called Interstellar Islands right now. We love this band, so I hope you will too. Back to Chris Bowden from Focused. It's still hard to define what a Christian band is. Like, even that question, it's just like, what does that even mean? It's a, I think that's a question that's kind of, back then, it might have meant something that it means different than now. It, right, that's, yes. But it meant something the same. But what did it mean in 94? I think, you know, Tim's the front man he has the mic so we're i don't have a mic i'm playing drums you know andrew doesn't have a mic you know it's just so whatever he says represented us so we play all these churches and he would have his kind of spiel that he would go into and it would be basically you know i'm not a i'm a sinner and you know come to christ it was it was basically an altar call and 
So Focus would do an altar call as part of their normal in, set. Yeah, in a sense, or at least talk about Christianity, Jesus. But it's like, you know, we're playing churches, so you're kind of preaching to the choir, and, like, you're like, eh. To be honest, like, you know, Andrew and I, <laughs> we would look at each other and roll our eyes and be like, hey, you know, here it comes again. And like, <laughs> oh, boy. And we would, you know, and, you know, I apologize, Tim, but he, he would say the same stuff, and, we, you know, just like, oh, gosh. Oh, you do the same spiel. Yeah, time. same yeah. spiel, and you're just like, oh, gosh. And, and it comes to a point where it's like, ah, it's just, this is, is this really authentic? It's like, what are we doing here? Let's just play music. Yeah. Let's just play music. Well, let's, 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 let's just zero in. Then. I think this is terrific. So before Tim was doing the spiel and you were out on tour, before you left for this tour, I mean, you were trying to be a Christian band and go to minister people at churches. Is that what you were yeah. trying to do? I don't even, just, that wasn't even talked about. We weren't like, we're going to be a Christian band. This is what we're going to do. At least not to me. Maybe Tim had an idea of that. I think we were just so young and jazzed about playing music that we could just do that at 19. Like, that's pretty amazing. Again, pile in a van and for 40 days and 40 nights and, like, get paid. That's pretty great. Do you remember what you got paid? <laughs> uh, I don't have no idea. Dozens of dollars. <laughs> yeah, dozens of dollars. I remember we had a per, per diem mm -hmm. of $10 a day. <laughs> what do you buy with $10 a day? Nothing. We go to you know, yeah, Taco Bell nonstop and get sick and, like, all that shit. Again, the fantasy is what kept us going, what at least kept me going. So something's happening there. If you are trying to be in a band and you realize there's an avenue for that to happen, maybe you could say in some way it's an easier path to go play churches and be a Christian band because there's a built-in yep. thing there, right? Well, I mean, back then it was like people were chomping at the bit. It's just like, you're going to go on tour and come to our town. You're going to come to Irving, Texas. Blenderhead's coming too. And, like, you know, MXPX is playing as well. Like, that's, you know, a huge deal. But if it wasn't Christian, that isn't true. If like, it's, it's only if you're Christian. Like, it's this hard thing about the music's at least halfway decent or even good. Yeah. But you're Christian and you're coming here. Boom. That's a show. Yeah. Right? And, you know, it's, you know the story. It's, it's youth group and safe and it's at, you know, the youth pastor inside a church or a gymnasium, the church, it's putting it on. And so, great. Um, we probably could not have toured without the churches. Right. It just wouldn't have happened. What, we would have played that show in Atlanta? Mm -hmm. And then what? Focus wasn't known in, I hesitate to use the word real, but the typical, normal circuit of bands that would play, you know. In, in Southern California, I think Focus was familiar enough to those bands, Strife, and those types of bands that we could jump on those shows. But you get out of there with pre-internet and, what, your CDs in, like, Christian bookstores? Nobody knows who you are. I tried to So you can see there's real dissonance in this space, both on how it was viewed from the outside and how it was viewed internally. You've got Brandon fighting the cartoonishly hip Seattle scene to gain cred with the use of talent and taste, while still managing to disappoint the Christian and the general market listeners. You've got Brian saying that while the rules within the Christian world were clearly goofy, 
the scene had enough good things going for it that the blamed wanted to be a part of it, even if it meant hiding their tool cassette tapes from promoters. And then there's Chris saying that because he was the drummer, he basically had to support whatever message the front man was preaching, whether he was into it or not. But he also fully admits that Focus couldn't have toured or played those shows without the churches and youth groups. And now we're going to hear from another Chris about another topic that a lot of you are probably pretty familiar with. This is Chris Foley, the bass player for the band Luxury. When you hear people say, we're not a Christian band, we're Christians in a band, how does that strike you when people say that? Yeah, I mean, it's become so cliche (laughs) to say that, but I mean, something becomes cliche because there's some truth in it. We certainly never saw ourselves as a Christian band, but we certainly acknowledged that we were Christians who were playing in a band. And and a lot of the, the local bands that we played with a lot, most of whom weren't Christians, kind of labeled us as, oh, those are those Christian guys, (laughs) which was funny because we never really talked much about that. And, but they just knew that about us through getting to know us. And, you know, we weren't living the party lifestyle. We weren't doing a band or rock and roll because we wanted to live this crazy lifestyle or anything. We were just trying to create beautiful art. And we felt like as Christians, we, we write from within our worldview which was Christian. I mean, certainly we're trying to offer up something beautiful unto God and and use the the gifts and talents he's given us. We definitely were of the professing Christian faith, but just always struggled with this whole dichotomy or a false dichotomy that there's, you know, kind of Christian music and then there's, I don't know, secular music. It just seemed like we never really bought into that whole dichotomy. Tell me what you mean there. So you you, you would say you have the philosophy, something along the lines of there's no such thing as Christian music. Could you elaborate on that? You know, I think for us is just as a band, we just struggled with this dichotomy that if you're Christians, here's this Christian music world. And it's set up as a, an alternative to this, you know, awful, non-Christian, bad, secular world. Because most of the music we were listening to was from that world. And we found a lot of beautiful and wonderful music there. So I think having to limit ourselves of just even thinking in those terms, it's like we were rejecting what was being given to us, that there are these two viable markets. We just saw it as, you know, there is a music market and we want to get out there and play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the whole concept of a, I don't know, like a parallel Christian music scene that is paralleling kind of this mainstream market just seems so strange to us. You know, playing in church sanctuaries uh, just to Christian people and, you know, just being put in these weird situations. I remember playing a skate park in Austin when we were on tour, um, or maybe it was San Antonio. And this guy got up there and just yelled at the kids for an hour about how awful they are and how <laughs> and they need to get saved. And then we were supposed to get up there and play after that. And it's just, we felt like these kids were just yelled at and treated so awful. And, and by getting up here, and playing this, we felt like somehow we were endorsing that behavior. Absolutely. And so 
you just didn't feel comfortable in that environment. So I guess I would say that there is such a thing as, as Christian music. I mean, but I guess I would think of it more in terms of you know, maybe worship music, you know, mm-hmm. music that is unabashedly Christian in that sense that it's trying to bring believers into sweeter communion with God somehow, but kind of taking this, I don't know, underground music genre and somehow turning it into something where we're peddling and selling God in order to to make it. I don't know, we just, we never really felt comfortable with that. And so we thought Tooth and Nail was a way that, you know, maybe to bridge that gap and, and to destroy that dividing wall between the two. One of the ways that Brandon was taking down that dividing wall was by letting bands simply be themselves without judgment, rules, or the need to fit into any type of mold at all. Here's Brandon again. I'll just tell you, this is a true story. So I signed, the, my first artist I ever signed was with Shreden, Rob Walker. He was the guitar player for Mortal. And their bass player and their drummer, like, were definitely not Christians. And, um, you know... Their very first tour, we got them on. The very first Tooth & Nail tour ever was with Shreden and Focused. And Focused was a strong Christian band, right? Like, some of the guys in the band were even, like, straight-edge, like, vegan. That's the kind of band they were. And they those bands went on tour. And I remember getting a call from somebody, and they're like, man, with Shreden smokes weed, like, every day. You know what I mean? And they're playing churches, right? And then they go out to their hotel, and they're smoking doobies or whatever, right? So you had with Shreden, and then you have Focused, who's, like hardcore they don't drink they don't smoke they're preaching from stage telling their testimony so i mean that that would be the and that would be like the ultimate first to the nail tour right there the first two bands <laughs> i signed right one had a kind of like rob walker didn't sing about god but he himself had a faith in christ himself mm-hmm. a christian backdrop if you will um, but he wasn't like probably in a bible study and like probably walking the walk right like why well, the guys in focused were like rocking for for Jesus, right? And they were, so they all both went on tour together. So, I mean, it wasn't the normal kind of a label where you're like, this is a Christian label. We're going to get you on tour with Sandy Patty and we're going to go do altar calls or whatever. It was like, I let the artists do what they were going to do mm-hmm. and support them where they were. So Brandon and Tooth and Nail were walking a line and in a really huge way, but there was still ongoing tensions and opinions and expectations from seemingly all parties possible. The industry, the artists, the church, the fans, the parents, and we haven't even talked about money yet. Of course, money will play a huge role in anything like this and often invisible to fans, it determined what bands could and couldn't do. Here's Brian again. Well, as like almost like as if you were looking at it from a business standpoint, you'd probably want to go where the money was. That's another factor of like there's money in the Christian shows, there's hotels in the Christian shows, there's catering in the Christian shows. You were treated different when you went and played your Christian show. There was places you would go. I mean, I'd been to some Christian shows where we got treated like I'd never been treated before. You know, I, they got us each a hotel room. We'd be like, dude, there's only four of us. Well, here's four rooms, and you'd be like, dude, we're cool with one. You know, and they'd give you. They were handing you per diem, and you know, we were like, dang, what is going going on they don't know who we are you know type thing yeah and but their show would probably be good though i do have to back it up with they would put us into a show and they would have a lot of people there and they would lose their minds and a lot of merch sales and a lot of even probably on a on a sense that we haven't talked about spiritually like things were moving you know people were there to grow there is a side of this culture where people were hungry also for the gospel within the music culture 
Complicated. So then it's a rude awakening when you get to play a punk show somewhere with, you know, yeah. back at the Gilman or whatever. Well, once we were on Tooth and Nail, I don't think we could get a show at Gilman anymore. So you were able to play a legendary punk venue until you were officially a Christian band, and then you could not play there anymore. Yeah, they wouldn't let us. And if you could, you know, get a gig with a mainstream band or whatever, I mean, you're getting $0 or $50 and the worst conditions and treatment, you know, imaginable in a way that you can almost reminisce about or love, that people celebrate in a way. Yeah. You get the venue you can't use the bathroom in and stuff like that. Those are the best. So the Blamed was able to make more money, play bigger shows, and sell more merch because of their ties to the Christian world. But it was those very ties that got them banned from playing the punk venues that they'd grown up in. But the guys in the Blame embraced being a Christian act, so that's not totally unexpected for the time and the scene. But what happens when you're not a Christian band at all, but you see the tooth and nail vibe is cool and a good opportunity for your band because that's exactly what began to happen. And we're going to learn more about it after a quick break from our supporters. I'm Jesse Batesel, a member of the labeled Patreon. I wanted to support this podcast through Patreon because so many of these bands were influential to me as a young person and as a musician. They opened up a whole world of underground music to me and saved me from only hearing cheesy radio rock. Now, if you want to join us on Patreon, you can listen to all past episodes. And this week, we'll be getting three and a half more hours of audio from interviews with Billy Power, Matt Johnson, and Aaron Sprinkle. Available only to members who join at patreon.com slash labeled. It was very odd to me from a number of perspectives. This is Nate Burke. One, because I wasn't new, I wasn't, I didn't grow up punk. You know, I wasn't part of that community really until I joined the band. And also I wasn't a Christian. I'm Nate Burke. I was the bass player in Frodis, I'm still active in a project called The Out Circuit, which I actually just completed and released just this week, my first record in 10 years. And you can find it on Swedish Columbia, which is a label run by my former bandmate and friend, Shelby Sinka. My perspective was, I mean, Shelby and Jason had known some of the Tooth & Nail people, I think through Roadside. And then that split single was right before I joined. You know, we started playing, we started writing, and they had been talking to them. And basically, from our perspective, they were interested and they were super cool. And they were like the nicest people. And basically, it was like, well, there wasn't there wasn't some cooler thing that we had in mind. I mean, you know. So the, they were already signed to Tooth & Nail when you joined? We did, they, they hadn't signed yet. Okay, so let's just start there. Tell me, you and Encountering Tooth and Nail, what I'm kind of cur- going to be curious about thematically is Christian label for you guys. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's what I want to talk about. So, Sheldon and Jason, they were two of the more ambitious people I knew growing up. They would make tapes and show up outside of a club and just hand them to people. And they had a kind of boldness to it that I found refreshing. And DC has a very, well, I don't know if it still does, but certainly in the 90s, there was this kind of thing where like you were a little bit embarrassed by ambition. You know, you had to kind of pretend like you didn't care. 
So I think part of what happened was the fact that Minor Threat and Fugazi were so successful, they created a blueprint by which other bands would follow. There were rules. There's a lot of rules, especially in Fugazi, about, you know, never do a show more than $5. They didn't do merchandise. They wouldn't do T-shirts or stickers or anything. Just records. Had to be all ages, so that could limit it too. But that also limited them in the sense that they couldn't open up for Soundgarden. I'm sure Soundgarden or a bunch of those bands probably offered them that all the time. Or Rage Against the Machine or whoever it was. It's almost like you had to you had to succeed and not make it seem like you cared about succeeding. Or money. Or money. It was limiting. Yes. But you felt, though, that y'all were bound by that. That's the culture you came out of. So you felt at least bound to some degree. Those were the terms and rules of the community. I I think that we felt like we were around it, but not of it. And I think when we felt ambitious, we loved making T-shirts. We wanted to have budgets for records. We There's got to be a point where you're allowing someone to kind of take it to the mm-hmm. next level. You know, we felt a little bit like a redheaded step cousin that I was like, let's not pretend like we don't care. Let's, let's, just, let's just get over that right now and just go, we care. So I think we just found that we kind of had more, the response of people was more positive outside of D.C. Mm-hmm. Was Christianity an element here? No, no, it really wasn't. I mean, Jason and Shelby were raised Christian. That was a factor, I think. You know, Jason's dad's a pastor. So he kind of grew up listening to, like, Christian metal and a lot of that kind of stuff. But I think it also felt like it was so polar opposite. Like, these people are nice. Like, Tooth and Nail were, like, nice unpretentious. Everyone we met from all the bands were just the most welcoming, coolest people. And who had you met? Roadside? Roadside, yeah. Ro- uh, mostly Roadside. And then by extension, like, you know, some of the people that worked there, Teresa, and there was, some, you know, Jeff Bedker, mm-hmm. the Supertones. We would stay with them. We'd be like, my gosh, they're just unabashedly nice to us. Stay at our place, give us food, whatever. Well, that whole community just felt so welcoming. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really the main decision point, to be honest with you. It was like, they're really supportive. They see to like what we're doing even though it doesn't necessarily fit i think they're it's exciting to them and you weren't a christian band to them or to yourselves <laughs> no though? and they never talked to us about it never it was never a topic of discussion How is it not a topic of discussion? <laughs> Consider the idea from where you come from of signing yeah. with it. There's no way that wasn't a discussion internally th- in the band. Like, is this dangerous for us to sign to a Christian label? No, if we're not going to get on a, Discord. It's a totally fair question. We just wanted to take things up a level, and they had the distribution and the money, and they were cool and could do it. Their ethos, or whether or not, you know, again, nobody said, hey, you all gotta be Christian, you gotta write about X, Y, or Z, never came up. I mean, I think Brandon, the approach they were taking is they wanted to branch out. You know, I don't think they wanted to get pigeonholed. Mm-hmm. And we were maybe a way of kind of piloting that. I agree. You know? You know, we started off putting out kind of straight-edge Christian hardcore bands like Focused, Unashamed, Strong Arm, Overcome. 
And then, you know, we all, of course, we had MXPX, which was more commercial. And then sprinkled in there, I had some really indie cred bands, I would call them. And then I also had some bands like the Supertones that were a little bit more mass appeal. There is a little bit of method to my madness, but there also is a lot of randomness. Like, I like to put out groups that I like, and that's what I do. So, but later on in the, in the later 90s, Tooth & Nail was getting very kind of like credible, if you will. So we had Frodus, Danielson Family, Velour 100, Starflyer 59, Roadside Monument. Like we had, these are all what you'd call cred bands. Well, I would. So, I mean, that would be the height of maybe Tooth and Nail's, like, quote-unquote, cool credibility. But, you know, we lost money on almost every release. So, because a lot of the more Christian bookstore fans weren't really into those bands as much. On one side of the spectrum, you have what you think of as something like cred, credible bands. And then on the other side, there's bands that have mass appeal, which doesn't mean they're not good musically or anything like that. But they're going to probably make more money. And Yeah, I mean, I think if you have a band on the label that doesn't necessarily sell as much but they're very cool and credible, that lends more credibility to the label and puts more eyeballs on the label and creates more opportunities for other artists as well. It goes both ways, but you sometimes have an artist that's both, and you sometimes have an artist that's neither. But what about being labeled as a Christian? You weren't, oh, no, you weren't that, worried about the liability of, he's going to use us to be cred, but then we're going to get stigmatized. I think we felt like it was subversive. Mm. Like we had this, we did this dystopian sci-fi post-punk record and it was sold at Christian bookstores. And I think there was something we really liked about that. It felt like we were getting in under the wire or under the, you know, like mm. under the radar. I Certainly mean, not praise and worship that they it's were absolutely, like expecting it absolutely. to be or, or have whatever, yeah. Totally. And I think that ended up working out. Yeah, no, totally. And so then, I don't know if you anticipated this or if it happened or what it was like, but now a ton of your records have been sold in Christian <laughs> bookstores yeah. under the auspices that it's a it's Christian bizarre. album, even to the people that maybe like it. Were you playing churches? They must have invited you to that They stuff. did invite us. We would do it occasionally. Or it was usually, it would, it would be more like this. Okay, so we'd go into some weird open space in Indianapolis or something. And, you know, we didn't think it was church-sponsored, and then maybe it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember going to the, actually a show in Indianapolis. There was a guy standing there wearing a shirt that said, Pray for Frodus. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh, what the... And then we went up and talked to him, and he, it was it was tongue-in-cheek. You know, and I think, well, okay, that's really funny. But I mean, I remember playing with Zayo somewhere in Pennsylvania, and there was just a guy, I have a picture of it somewhere, of this guy with a mohawk just raising his hand, praying the whole time. And I remember the three of us kind of going, you know, that's a little weird. Like, good good for him, cool, but like, it, I can't, it just, it started to feel like maybe some of what you're talking about are like, I don't know that we want to, how far down this road we want to get, because I don't think there's any getting out of it. Mm-hmm. So the road that Nate's talking about here is the slippery slope of trying to be on a Christian label and not offend the Christian kids at Christian shows, which, if you know anything about the scene or spend any time at these shows, you know is not an easy task. And to make things even more complicated, no one could agree back then on what you were supposed to be doing. Everyone was just winging it, and they all had different ideas about what was right and wrong. And while they couldn't agree on many things, there was one thing that bands seemed to encounter pretty uniformly. Christian fans are definitely embarrassing, unfortunately. Here's me and Brian Gray from The Blamed again. 
Tell me more about that. Well, I mean, one of my worst nightmare shows was uh, we got to open for, I think it was Mayhem, like big black metal band. It wasn't a Christian show and the Christians were still coming and even chanting Jesus or something from the audience. And you were just like, hey guys, stop. This isn't that kind of show. There was, you know, a few people you'd run into that kind of had a... Um a little bit of a glazed, <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say, but you know, somebody come and be like, can we, can we lay our hands on you and pray for you and that kind of stuff? And you're like, yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to put my base away. Like, it's cool. I, you know, and I would never, I'd just be like, okay, sure. You know, uh, some of this is when you're not a Christian. Either, Correct. Right? You're and, a Christian bass player on tooth and nail trying to be like refused. Totally. And people are trying to pray for us. Yeah, <laughs> totally. We had a lot of shows we go and there'd be like a group outside going, Hey, we don't support these venues. But we're Christians, so we're, we wanted to meet you guys and ask if we could buy a T-shirt. And not, go, and in not the show. go in the show. And I was always just, you, you felt like you're... Because of their moral convictions to not support the club or the bands I, you were Yeah, doing. I don't know. It just was always a bummer. You know, you've just, your head sunk and you were like, seriously? And I can't, there's no point in trying to educate these folks. That had happened more than once and it just, I didn't like it. Yeah, uh, there's lots of stories like that. And uh, yeah. the fans were never embarrassed. No. They want more than anything for a band to be good and then never stop talking about the gospel. That's what they want. Oh yeah, 100%. They were, again, they were engaged. It was great on the level of them being your, your people. They would come and just be present and it was so much fun. But then you'd have a show where you played with a secular band and they would, the other band would maybe be hanging out with you and meet them and be you'd be like, hey, this is my friend and Matt, you know, and they'd shake your hand and and they'd be like, oh, you're in this band? Yeah. And they, I remember our Christian fans would even say to guys like, that's cool. Yeah, I don't listen to secular music. And <laughs> they would just look at you with like, what? And you'd kind of you'd be like a Will Ferrell movie, like, yeah, nod, whisper, I'll tell you later, you know, <laughs> I'll explain it. And, but <laughs> Totally. And that was weird. Yeah. So that puts artists in a tough spot. Yeah. It really does. Like, it seems like you're selling out to the mainstream, which is this weird myth yeah. because it's the mainstream is difficult and hard. You don't get paid well, treated well. To do that, it's harder to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, how? I mean, if you think about, it, okay, I'm playing drums in a Christian band. Chris Bowden again. I'm a Christian. Okay, that's it. Like, what am I supposed to talk to kids after the show and you know share the gospel because I'm in a Christian band or at the Atlanta show? I'm well, sure. To why not? Talk. Like, I'm supposed to talk to the yeah Earth Crisis guy. That's the idea. Why not? That yeah, is tell me why not unrealistic. That you're a Christian band. You're that's what you're supposed to. Be. That's, that's not exactly the idea so that the fans have at, that you should be doing. But at the beginning, it's like that's you know you use the words that's what you're supposed to do. I'm not supposed to do that. Like, just because I play in a band, I am supposed to do that? Mm -hmm. No, hell no. Tim can do that if he wants to, but I'm not going to do that. I don't feel like I want to do that or need to do that or anything. I just want to play music. But that's the thing that's kind of new here. That's the very thing that didn't really exist before, is people like you playing music who were Christians, but not doing the music as a ministry tool directly that's kind of the new thing that's happening and so that seems really confusing to the fans no well i mean <laughs> so like, can you you remember encountering the fan like the fans could not have understood i understand your point of view completely yeah. i share it the fans couldn't have understood that when you show up in oklahoma christian show the christian band that's good finally came what do you think the fans were expecting oh that's totally fine i mean they can expect whatever they want. I mean, I do remember like signing CDs and I'd write, you know, oh, Matthew 633. You know? <laughs> I don't know. What am I supposed to, you know, it's just, I felt this pressure to, because I'm in a Christian band, 
I got to give out some kind of Christianese and hand out something. <laughs> so you felt it as like a professional obligation right away, but uh, not what you... I wouldn't say did. professional. <laughs> <laughs> I would say an obligation. Yeah, well, and it's also this pressure of of the fans. Like, they're expecting something. Like, what? I'm going to sign a CD. Like, what does that even mean? Like, wh- why do you want this? Like, I'm nobody. To them, maybe I'm somebody, but it's just like... What do you want me to give you here? Here's Matthew 6.33, which I don't even know what it is anymore. Do you? No. Pretty complicated stuff, really. The fans wanted one thing, the bands wanted another thing, the churches wanted one thing, the parents wanted another thing. Even the bands outside of the scene wanted something. It was kind of a mess, but Tooth & Nail's efforts to slowly integrate the various genres and scenes actually paid off. And yeah, there were lots of growing pains and confused church kids and disappointed parents, but in the long run, it was all worth it because eventually, and through tenacity, a scene emerged where bands could be exactly what they wanted to be regardless of the details of their beliefs, regardless of their lyrics, and regardless of whether or not they prayed with kids after a show. Here's Chris Foley from Luxury again. In my mind, I mean, the Christian music scene doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, it it does in kind of a CCM world, but I, I think all of that divide has just fallen by the wayside, and so bands can just be bands. Here's me and Brandon again. It's almost as if the distinction of being a Christian band just kind of doesn't matter anymore. So it was important to distinguish, well, we're not like a Christian band. We're maybe Christians in a band. It had a function at the time. What I want to celebrate most about this whole podcast and everything is like... It worked. It worked. It was <laughs> a certain it stigma, right. and now we're past it. Yeah, we're past the stigma, in my opinion. All right, in our next episode, we're going to be talking about the legendary Cornerstone Festival, which I'm researching this week. So I'm going to ask all you guys to join the free and open labeled Facebook group and tell me your memories, rumors, stories, anything about Cornerstone that you think belongs in the episode. And this has been real fun, too, because that community, the labeled community, I really see it as a primary source. And the show's for you guys anyway, so might as well come help us make it. Join the Facebook group is linked in the show notes. Uh, Also, support us on Patreon. We really appreciate that, too. We're going to be back after the holidays with this Cornerstone chapter, and then we'll be moving into some stories about the breakout success of some of Tooth & Nail's biggest early bands. Hope you all have a good Christmas and New Year's. See you soon. My name is Alicia from Minneapolis. I'm a label member, and my favorite tooth and nail band of all time is actually a four-way tie between Emery, May, Copeland, and Anne Berlin. Matt Carter is our host, editing, sound design, and music supervision by Melanie Studley, mixing and additional music supervision by Chris Keen, story by Matt Carter and Melanie Studley, production assistant is Frankie Santana, production manager is Reba Hansen, our executive producer is Brandon Ebel. Special thanks to Adam Statula, Tyson Paletti, and Marshall Primus at Tooth & Nail Records. This podcast is made possible by Jesse Batesville and the rest of the members of the label community on Patreon. 
If you're interested in becoming a title sponsor like Jesse for your band, brand, or nonprofit, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash labeled.